today on Ag News Daily. The, the old stockyards that was downtown was for most of its lifetime the largest market east of the Mississippi River by quite a bit. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Monday, October 15th. Half the month is over. Halloween is a mere 15 days away. I hope you're all ready to get dressed up as the scariest thing you can think of, which, I don't know, might be a giant pile of soybeans sitting in the rain. I don't know, depending on who you are. Or perhaps it's a field of soybeans still stuck out there in the rain or under some snow. But I am Mike Pearson. I am the host today, flying solo. Delaney is down in Lexington, Kentucky, in bluegrass country. She is working with a sponsor you've heard on our Market Monday podcast for the past couple of weeks, Barber Cattle Company. We'll have a conversation with Larry Barber here in just a little bit, talking about the cattle market, a little bit about uh, what Barber Cattle Company does, and then we'll also get an update from a sale barn down there in bluegrass country. I believe it's the bluegrass sale barn. So Delaney, even though she's kind of on a vacation, she is not, not working, I guess. I tell you what, my brain is a little fried today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very sad. The Beast, my Chevy three-quarter ton truck with the 8.1 liter engine, was laid to rest today. Went to its final home up at Sand Hill Auto Salvage in Tama. And, you know, it's always sad when a vehicle has to go to that... uh I don't know, that big highway in the sky, I suppose, but but the Beast was an organ donor, so if you need parts and pieces for an 01 Chevy 2500 with the 8100 series engine and the Allison transmission, give them a call up there at Sand Hill, and I'm sure they can get you squared away. Although, don't call on the transmission. That's why it's in the salvage yard to begin with. The tranny went out, and that's about six grand to rebuild that Allison. So, yeah, tough to spend that on a 20-year-old truck. So I'm in the truck market. If anybody's got uh, something they want to sell, I'm a high mileage buyer and I'm a cheap buyer, but I pay in cash, just not a lot of it. Anyhow, I want to get to some news before we jump into uh, Delaney's couple conversations for today's podcast. We've got a report out from the USDA and really the punchline is the U.S. is not capturing growth in the global grain trade. We've talked for quite a little bit about the expansion of global grain demand around the world. Of course, China is the main story there with their hog herd. But we're seeing expansions in livestock production and in ethanol production globally. And the USDA is concerned that the U.S. isn't necessarily getting our uh, fair share, I suppose, or our... We're not getting enough of that growth. And uh, they talk about a couple of different reasons. The trade war is a very, very small piece of this. Um, really, the bigger competition is coming from Russia, the Ukraine, and Argentina. That's hurting us in uh, on the wheat side. And Brazil, Argentina, and the Ukraine are driving down our corn export share. So, folks, there's not a lot we can do about this as growers. We can continue to grow the, the best crop we can and, and be the cheapest on the global market. But really, what this tells me is we need to work on ramping up demand here at home. I think we could see this happen with year-round E15 sales that we talked about last week. We could also see this happen by uh, increasing our protein consumption or uh, protein production here in America, which we do that, there we go, by increasing our consumption. Everybody go eat some eggs, go drink some milk, and have a steak. 
and, uh, you know, we'll find a better home for your corn that way. Got some other news here. Retail sales, which have really been on a tear for uh, the better part of the past, oh, probably about three, three and a half years, barely moved in the month of September. They did not budge up at all. Um, really, what happened was there was the biggest drop in spending at restaurants and bars in almost two years, which really kind of blew me away, given how gray we have been and ucky and misty and you know snowy and everything else uh, basically east of the rocky mountains i figured for sure that would be driving a lot of people to drink but uh, apparently it's not uh retail sales well i guess that would be in october these are september retail sales numbers so maybe we'll see that jump up again in this next month but because we didn't see retail sales move a whole lot, we did see the dollar get a little weaker. And um, that might have given us some impact here on the grain markets. We had a very, very solid day in the grains. The weaker dollar could have had a small part to do with that as we get into our Market Monday conversation. Before we get into that, though, we do just have a couple other uh, things of interest here that kind of jumped out at me while I was doing my uh, my news roundup for the day. Egypt, which is the world's largest wheat importer, is currently in talks with international banks over a plan to hedge its wheat purchases. Apparently, Egypt has never bothered to do this. They've always just bought wheat on the spot market as needed, kind of hand-to-mouth purchasers, always at the cash price, or, you know, FOB, Ukraine, or America, or wherever they're getting their wheat. Now they're actually interested in perhaps hedging and locking in prices for several years. He said uh, this was according to an unnamed source in the Egyptian government, said, quote, we're not in advanced talks yet. We're surveying, taking presentations on hedging, not much more than that. But this could be really interesting. Egypt is currently looking to uh, put into place an oil hedging policy, and now they're looking at wheat. And remember, these folks are going to be hedging um Gosh, a lot of wheat if they decide to jump into this market. So it could be very, very interesting. To, I guess it was just surprising to me that we talk a lot about how growers don't necessarily use the futures market as, as much as they could to manage their risk. Well, you're not alone, growers. Here's the world's largest buyer of wheat. And uh, yeah, they're not using the futures market to manage their risk, although they're looking at it. And I would encourage all of you to do the same. Look at the futures, look at the options, talk to somebody who can help you out, and uh, utilize all the risk management tools at your disposal. Well, folks, that is going to do it for news. Because Delaney has brought us two stories this week, I want to make sure we leave her plenty of time to get into it. We're going to begin with our hashtag Market Monday conversation with Larry Barber. Then we'll kick it over to our talk with Bluegrass Stockyards that Delaney has kicked up from Kentucky. But before we get into any of that, let's see where the markets ended today. And remember, folks, our markets every day are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Today, we saw a 24-cent rally in soybeans. Is your marketing plan resilient enough to capture some of this? If not, call our friends at Zaner. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got green, as I mentioned on the screen today, in the grain markets. Starting with December corn, it was up four and a half cents at three seventy eight and a quarter. The March also up four and a half to close at three ninety and a quarter. In soybeans, November contract 
24 cents higher, closed the day at 891.5. January also up 24 cents to finish at 905 and three quarters. For those of you who really want to sell some $9 beans in that January contract, we're there today. In Chicago wheat, the December contract up seven and three quarters at five and a quarter. The March up six and a quarter, closed the day at 543 and three quarters. Looking over on the livestock side, that strength continued in live cattle. The October up 105 at 113.3750. The December up a dollar 80 on the day at 117.9750. In feeder cattle, the October up 40 cents at 155.10. The November up 60 at 155.22 and a half. And strength in lean hogs with the December contract up a dollar 75 at 56.75. The February up a dollar 67.50 to close at 63.90. Let's see, did that strength in all the markets carry over into dairy? And it did not. Dairy farmers just cannot catch a break. In October, class three milk it closed down a penny at 15.60, while the November was down four cents at 1572. Before we jump into that conversation with Mr. Larry Barber himself, let's get a word from our sponsors here for Hashtag Market Monday. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high-quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at 859-229-7691. That number again, 859-229-7691. Get the best cattle with Barber. We're going to be talking about the cattle markets today with Larry Barber, one of the owners of Barber Cattle and Sons. Larry, tell me, what do you see? You get out often um, outside of Kentucky and around Kentucky. What are you seeing right now in the cattle industry? Well, I see fewer cattle, and uh, that concerns me. Uh, Like today, we've probably got 1,000 cattle here, and 10 years ago, we would have probably had 1,800. So... Numbers is my biggest concern. Numbers. What about when you look at replacement numbers? Is that a big concern to you as well? It is. Um, What about price differences around the country? What are you seeing right now for cash prices around the country? In feeder cattle? Yes. uh, About the same wherever, just a difference in transportation. Mm -hmm. We happen to be in a real good spot here in Kentucky that we're close to the Midwest and the Northwest, mm-hmm. so our, our our freight makes a big difference. Yeah, so I was, that was going to be my next question. How do prices here compare to maybe prices in Nebraska or prices in Texas? Are these relatively strong prices compared to those parts? Well, your Nebraska feeder cattle are higher than ours. Um, even with the freight difference, they're still higher than ours. So. That's one reason we have a good market in in Iowa, Nebraska, and and Illinois. So you um, operate, you're a cattle buyer here. You're buying cattle for people all across the U.S., it sounds like, really. Yeah, we do. Um, Explain to me the makeup from, like, for today's sale, for instance. We had 200 head, we had 300 head, four, eight weights. What are folks looking for, for the most part, from you guys? Well, it just forest breeding, most of them looking for black cattle mm-hmm. to start out with. And size-wise, I mean, they're just all different kinds of people that feed different sizes and sexes and heifer steers, bulls. Do you have customers that are willing to pay a higher premium for 
black cattle in particular? Yes, yes. They uh, they will be from three to five dollars higher probably than the colored cattle. Mm-hmm. Why do you think? Why is that? Well, they are on the the Angus uh, 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 like the certified premium. Certified. Angus. That's uh-huh. what I was trying to say. And you know they get an extra thirty five fifty dollars a head in places, not not all places, mm-hmm. and in other places the packers just will give more for a black. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of packers in this part of the no, state? We have none. None. How is that affecting prices here at the sale barns, um, or is it? It it don't affect prices at all because we we feed no cattle here. Are you seeing differences in prices between steers and heifers? Well, yes, they always are. Mm-hmm. And depending on the size heifer, but they'll range from 7 or 8 to $15 difference. Wow. And are you, do you think we're seeing that across the country as well, that same trend? Yeah, that's pretty much a standard. Okay. Why, why are we seeing that? Well, heifers, a little bit more trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't gain hardly as well, but they're getting closer all the time. So mm-hmm. that difference may change. Do you think the cow herd as a whole, the cow calf herd as a whole, is that still growing? Uh, no, I don't think. Okay. What about? I don't know if you hear this a lot, but um, in in our part of the country in Iowa, we hear about this quote unquote wall of cattle coming to the marketplace. Are you hearing that or seeing that in this part of the country? Mm, no, no, okay. we're not. Okay. Uh, what we're concerned about here is our numbers of everything. It's just the cattle industry as far as livestock is just dropping gradually every year. And uh, we we don't need that to happen. Because guys are just... Selling out, getting out of the industry. Older people are quitting. Cost a lot of money to get into the farming business and cattle business. A lot of young folks don't have that mm-hmm. access to that. I was reading a report uh, last week or two weeks ago from the USDA that cattle weights are up right now at this point in time. Are you seeing a lot of sellers bringing in higher weights? Uh, our yearling cattle here start that way is is uh, dwindling down for the year. We're ready to start on our calves, which the weather's been so good, they've brought no calves to the market, so they're yet to come. But uh, I don't think there'll be, again, as many numbers as we've seen in the mm-hmm. past. What if we look out here? We've had relatively strong feeder prices. I think 155, 160s, where futures are sitting. What do you expect to see here over the next five, ten months for for uh, feeders? Well, I think due to your all's huge grain crop, until that changes, uh, feeder cattle will probably remain fairly high, uh, although the fat cattle market doesn't warrant it, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, your grain will will have a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Great. Larry, thank you so much. You're so welcome. 
down here in Lexington, Kentucky today talking with Jim Akers, the COO of Bluegrass Stockyards. Jim, tell me a little bit about the makeup of Bluegrass. How does it work and operate? Well, we, uh, we operate seven sale barns, uh, all of them within the state of Kentucky, but uh, scattered from, the, from Albany on the southern border with Tennessee all the way to Maysville on the river in the north. Uh, we go uh, Campbellsville on I-65 to the west and Mount Sterling uh, to the east in the foothills. Uh, the other three barns are kind of here scattered around central Kentucky. Um, you know, we market uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of a half million cattle a year. We do sell other species at three of our other barns, sheep, goats, and hogs, and we do a, uh, just a handful of horse sales a year at, at different locations. We also run an internet business. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 10% of our annual volume will go through the internet, and it's operated out of Lexington here. Tell me a little bit about the history of the stockyards, because uh, specifically here in Lexington, the facility that we're sitting in today is not the original uh, stockyards that was built in Lexington. No, no, not not by any stretch of the imagination. The old, the old original stockyards, um, uh, the original bluegrass stockyards, I'll put it that way because there's a long history of livestock marketing in Lexington. It goes back into the late 1700s, but um, the the old stockyards that was downtown was for most of its lifetime the largest market east of the Mississippi River by quite a bit. Uh, it was started in 1946 by seven local businessmen and cattle people, livestock people, uh, that actually broke away from a, an already existing stockyards on the other side of downtown. Uh, they bought an old uh, buying station from Swift Packing Company and added on to it, uh, expanded it, and, and started the auction market right after World War II. Uh, it operated under that ownership up until 1976. And then in 1976, the Barber and Holt families, who are part of our ownership today, uh, purchased it from them. And uh, uh, Mr. Holt ran the physical operation, the stockyards, up until uh, the early 2000s. One of his sons took over and ran it from that point to the time of the fire. And uh, the Holt and the Barber families have been partners uh, you know, in the stockyard business ever since that period of time. There were a couple times through that history up between 76 and the fire where the market was actually sold mm-hmm. uh, and operated for a few years by other entities and then but ultimately always ended back up in the hands of the Holtz and the Barbers. And uh, at the time of the fire in January of 2016, uh, we had nine, nine owners at that point, well actually ten owners at that point in history. And um, um, you know when when the market burned and it was a it was a you know horrible event uh not only for the city of Lexington but but you know for our business as well we were uh very very fortunate uh in in this day and time with social media um i learned a lot about social media <laughs> on a saturday afternoon when you know we scheduled to have a sale on monday yeah. morning and it, here you are at two o'clock in the afternoon and your business is Burning around your ankles ground. and ashes yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we used local media who obviously were reporting mm-hmm. on the fire. We did a lot of social media as well and, and told our customer base, you know, don't, don't come to Lexington. But uh, we added sale days at our other locations. We moved a lot of our employees around to put familiar faces at those other locations. And probably the most rewarding piece of the whole struggle for the two years of rebuilding this place was that during that period of time our our volume 
was only down 4% across wow. the whole company. So, you know, we, we've got a loyal customer yeah. base. We left our field men out and out working and, you know, servicing customers. And, uh, you know, we held on to that business, mm-hmm. and it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. So you use horsemen or servicemen at every facility? Uh, field people? Yeah, field people. Right, yeah. We, we have, uh, we, we've kind of changed the logic over the years. Uh, you know, when I first started, it was more about each individual barn. And, you know, Bob goes to this barn and Jim goes to this barn. We've really tried to open ourselves up um, with uh, information technology being what it is. Uh, you know, our ability to communicate with those guys is, is, is much, much better. And so, so we, they're basically at large at this point. You know, we, we tell them, you know, don't, don't worry about trying to get those customers to go to a particular location. Figure out what they need. If they need to sell on Wednesday, we'll go to Mount Sterling with them. If they need to sell on Monday, we'll come to Lexington. Um, and figure out what the customer needs and, and do that for them. And, and so it, it's actually really, really helped uh, the mentality of our entire company mm-hmm. because it's more of a team now as opposed to, you know, this little group of people work to get cattle at this barn and this, these work to get them at a different location. It's more about the customer now. Are the solicitors going out just to cattle operations in the state of Kentucky or are they going out further outside of oh, the no, state borders? Oh, no, we, we actually operate in uh, nine or ten states. Uh, obviously, physical limitations yes. on transporting cattle uh, most of the live cattle that we sell are Kentucky, Tennessee, mm-hmm. the Virginias, uh, Indiana, Ohio, and um, we get like here in Lexington, we get a lot of Indiana cattle, a lot of Southern Ohio cattle, um, and then our internet allows us to expand that footprint and reach further out into those states, go deeper into the south, farther to the east. Um, we don't. Um, we haven't really pushed our business to the west. We we have uh, through the acquisition or the partnership, I shouldn't say acquisition, but the partnership with some some new field people on our internet system have have started to sell some cattle out of Missouri, and uh, that's just in the last year or so, and that's been good for us. Mm-hmm. Yep. So explain to me then, and, and our listeners, the makeup we have two cattle companies located here in the Lexington facility. What does the relationship look like between Bluegrass and the cattle companies or cattle buyers? Well, uh, this this one acre building that sits in front of the stockyards, that's the marketplace, mm-hmm. the BG Regional Marketplace, has got uh, over 20 other businesses that partner with us here, retail, restaurant, service providers. Uh, we also have two major order buying companies that lease office space off of us. Eugene Barber and Sons on one end of the building, and then S and B Cattle Company on the other end of the building. Um, we we have um, the relationship between the principals of those businesses, which are very very separate from the stockyards. Uh, the principals of those businesses are also shareholders in the stockyard business. Um, they utilize this facility to yard a lot of their cattle that are coming in from other markets around the east and southeastern United States. Um, we'll yard almost as many cattle here as we'll sell mm. in a year's and how period many, of time. The stockyards here, how many head could they hold if they were at full capacity? Uh, at any one point in time, 3,500 to 4,000 okay. head probably. Uh, we've The biggest sale day we've had here since we opened about a year ago was roughly 3,000 head, and we followed up the next day with another close to 2,000 mm, wow. head. 
uh, plus those yardage cattle coming and going, yeah. which is a constant thing. So it's uh, it was designed to handle for the east anyway. You know, big numbers of cattle if we needed to. When you Jim, when you look at other facilities like this in the industry, are there other stockyards that are this scale where you have seven stockyards total, or or have this many partners? Well, it, it, this is a very unique company. One that you've got, you know, an order buyer population that that are part owners in the stockyard operation, um, and or about, about half of our mm-hmm. ownership is our order buyers, and uh, the other half are. Uh, ironically, two of them are facility managers for us, and the other two are just big farmers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a very unique mix of ownership in this one. We we our board meetings are interesting because we've basically got every perspective in the room. We've got farmers, we've got sale barn operators, and we've got order buyers. So it's a it's an interesting discussion a lot of times, but but it's served us well, and I think it forces us to kind of look at everything from from every angle. Um, but you know those order buying businesses are totally separate, and uh, and you know everybody understands the need for for it to be that way, and uh, it's it's been pretty healthy for us. Mm-hmm. What about when you look at the cattle industry as a whole? What trends are you seeing right now running through your sale barns? Well, um, you know we didn't see growth in the cow herd here in our area. Like if you look at the USDA numbers, I'm not sure where all that growth took place, but it didn't it didn't happen okay. here. Um, we are seeing a lot of older people exit the business, mm-hmm. uh, dispersing a lot of cow herds. Fortunately, the better end of those cow herds, as we disperse them, are going back out. We've got a lot of young people that are either new into the business or trying to get into the business. Their business philosophy is very, very different than the older generations. You know, they're, they're not about owning land, uh, building up a lot of assets. They're just about running cattle and trying to be profitable. Um, so we're, you know, we're trying to constantly evolve to be able to be relevant to, to that changing customer base. The other thing that we see on the cow-calf side of things is, and I don't think this is certainly not unique in our part of the country, and we're probably a little bit behind the curve on this one, is you know, you, you, I think we're finally at that point in the industry that we've been talking about for 30 years, which is you know, if you've got the kind of cattle that the market demands, you're going to do very well. Mm. Uh, if you don't produce the kind of cattle that the market wants, um, you, you're in trouble. You're going to have to make some changes, or, or it just gets more and more difficult to market those oddball, misfit-type cattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just fewer and fewer people out there willing to take a chance on them. Yeah. And so we're seeing uh, much more interest in higher-level verification programs, genetic verification Branded branded marketing programs, value added, however you want to call them, and um, we continue and I think have a pretty good history of being innovators and bringing those programs into this part of the world, uh, trying to make it easy for our small cowherd customer base to participate in those programs, and and I think it's up to us to keep them in business. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're uh, we just had a big uh, two day value-added marketing conference uh, back in September and we brought uh, several of those new genetic verification programs in to talk to our customer base. Very well received, nice crowds, a lot of interest. Um, people just trying to figure out where they fit in you know, moving forward. And um, we feel like the way 
uh, regardless of what the industry does, as long as we continue to innovate, we continue to create marketing opportunities for those producers, uh, you know, th they're going to stay in business. They're going to keep marketing cattle. Absolutely. But uh, numbers are a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, we've seen over the last decade our, num our total numbers gradually decrease, uh, as you see nationally. And I don't think that's a trend that's necessarily going to go away because we do so much of a better job today genetically management mm -hmm. nutrition it just doesn't take as many cattle to produce right. the meat that we need right which is uh, both a good and bad problem well it have. is it is and uh it, you know it, it creates opportunities for profitability with the individual producers uh but it does create a challenge when you're in a volume business right. like we are uh that you've got to constantly fight and scrap to find new business and and uh uh you know hold your ground it's it's really not about necessarily growing the business at this point as much as it is just maintaining mm -hmm. a level of uh, a level of volume that's that's healthy for our business. Jim, the last thing I really wanted to talk about here when we, when you look at this facility, the Lexington facility and you mentioned a couple other facilities were built out to have kind of more a co of a consumer face. We're yeah. here in Lexington. It's a pretty urban area. Yeah. Um what are you guys doing to work with educational components, reaching out to consumers that are maybe a couple of generations yeah. removed from agriculture? Yeah, well, you know, one of the, the, the big picture approach to this, and I, I won't take credit for that because Mr. Barber, our, our chairman, uh, has talked for 15, 20 years about this vision he's had of kind of a one-stop shop, mm -hmm. not only for our farmer farming customers, uh, but for the community as well. And when we created this place out here, we, we wanted to put a restaurant in it that was beyond what you would expect when you normally go to yeah, the Yeah, it's a great restaurant. Yards, and it's really times. good. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we made a commitment to early on in this is that we were going to keep everything local. The local food movement is huge. It's, it's real. Um, the local arts and crafts scene is big here in central Kentucky. We obviously got the bourbon industry, yep. <laughs> the tobacco industry, all those things that are just signature pieces to Central Kentucky, and so we tried to bring all those in here, and we've stayed true to that local theme. Um, we 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 have a museum here on site where people can come in and learn about the history of the livestock marketing business, the hit the rich history of just Central Kentucky and some of the big big important players in the national livestock scene. Uh, the importation of some of the first European cattle happened, you know, right here mm -hmm. uh, with Henry Clay and the Herefords and, and Shorthorns and a lot of other uh, breeds of cattle that, that really Lexington kind of was their first home in the United States. Um, so that that's a really interesting uh, museum, not only of the cattle industry, but agriculture in general. Right across the hall from it, you've got a, a full-blown classroom that's staffed by a certified teacher with... Uh, uh, it's it, you know we we tell schools when they call about you know can we come do a, a visit at the stockyards well it's not just a visit I mean we've got actual certified content that we can deliver to the kids while they're here uh, do you want to learn about nutrition do you want to learn about agriculture cattle production do you want it math slanted or science slanted mm -hmm. we can do all those things and uh, you know we take those tours out into the barn. Uh, we want them to learn and understand where their food comes from. Uh, so much of our population today has no concept of 
right. how their food gets yep. to them and where it comes from. So at least for a little moment in time, you know, we've got our hands on them and we're trying to do that. We, we've we run roughly 25,000 people through that wow. classroom okay. since we started last fall. So it's been very well received. That's awesome. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. You I appreciate bet. it. Glad to visit with you. Well, thank you, Delaney, for bringing us those great interviews. Listeners, Delaney will be back tomorrow. We'll both be in studio together up in Ames cutting the podcast. So stay tuned. We will have something fantastic on it. But if you want to check out past podcasts, you can do that on our website at agnewsdaily.com. Also, be sure to bookmark the Global Ag Network website. That is our podcast network that looks like it will be launching at the end of this week. So fingers crossed on that. And, of course, you can always find us and shout at us and share quality stuff with ourselves on social media. Look for Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let you go.